Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Anne Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, Working for Change, Anne and I are joined by Deontay Santiago from Fordham University's class of 2021. He is the current president of the Black Student Alliance, ASILI, and a student fellow in the office of the chief diversity officer. He shares his thoughts with us about his commitment to greater diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have so much to talk about today, but I really just wanted to give our listeners a chance for you to introduce yourself to them. So can you just tell us about where you're from, what you're majoring in, and kind of why you decided to become active as a student leader in your time at Fordham? My name is Deontay Santiago. I'm born and raised in the Bronx, New York. I'm a marketing major in the Gabelli School of Business, and I decided to become, you know, one of the leaders of a silly because uh, personally for me, my time at Fordham University, especially my first two years or such, weren't necessarily a very enjoyable experience. I did not like being at the school, and it had affected my mental health to a degree. Setting foot on this campus was like a sombering experience every day, you know? Well, at least it was back then. Now, cool. Now I like it a little bit more. But back then, it was it was somewhat of like a, a drag to have to come to school. It was affecting my grades, social life, I guess you could say. I don't know. I just wasn't really feeling it back then. Then I had found my own community within the school, you know, silly and kind of being able to branch into silly helped me to branch out to other fields of the school. And like now I kind of feel more comfortable and in integrated into the Fordham community. It just helped me. And I just want to make sure that in the process of me being helped by the club, I can also return that, and, you know, bring it to other students who might not be necessarily integrate into the community easily, especially black students who are on the campus. Like that's my main concern knowing that I kind of went through that. So what made you feel like you wanted to stick it out? What made you able to persist? And can you talk a little bit more about like what made it hard? What made it feel like this is, you know, a somber experience, like stepping on campus. I don't feel like, oh, I'm entering this palace of palace of knowledge, but oh, here I am again and this is gonna stink. I could definitely say like my first semester at college, like I was kind of enamored. The access to all these different like facilities, uh, anemones that the school offers, libraries, just seeing like a whole entire like, college experience kind of was something that I don't really know about. Like, you know, I don't have any family before me who's went to any college other than Bronx Community College. Being at like a big four-year institution was kind of impressive and like interesting to me until I started realizing it doesn't necessarily mesh well with the kind of culture that I grew up in. The Bronx and Fordham University, I mean, although Fordham University is in the Bronx, it has a heavy juxtaposition to what the rest of the Bronx, for the most part, looks like and acts like and feels, I guess you could say. When I started to really feel like that disconnect a little bit more, like it definitely was somewhat jarring for me. You know, just it it doesn't necessarily like stop at like the differences in the culture, but also like some of the derogatory ways that some of my peers would speak about, like, you know, the borough that I'm from and such and. I right. have, like, stories, examples, but, you know, I don't want to get too, like, deep and, like, far into them. Just because, like, you know, there's plenty of them. To, there's, like, a plethora of examples. Um, but no one wants to hear their home made fun of or talked about as a scary place or talked about as somehow, like, a place not to go. It's your home. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I will understand. Somebody said there are certain areas in the Bronx that are dangerous. I agree. I live in the Bronx. There are certain places that are dangerous. But then, you know, when people are saying, like, oh, the Bronx is full of poor and dirty people, you know, that's a whole entire different kind of disparaging. Can you talk about your sense of Fordham as a student in high school in the Bronx? What made you want to come here? And what did you know about the university when you were making that decision? 
it's funny. Um, I was just talking to Dean Rogers yesterday. He asked me the same question. I didn't know about Fordham when I was in high school. The Bronx Community Board uh, Six District, which is like the same district that Fordham University is in, like the same district that I live in. And I had never really known like Fordham University until I got to like my senior year of high school. I just knew it was somewhere on Fordham Road. My high school guidance counselor, you know, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. So he told me a bunch of good schools to apply to that he felt, you know, I could get into with my grades, like my SAT score. So, you know, I applied to Fordham and when it came down to it, Fordham was like the most affordable choice for me, most reasonable choice in terms of proximity to where I live, the amount of financial aid and, you know, scholarship that I had gotten. So I wasn't active in my choice of choosing Fordham. It kind of just so happened that I ended up here. I actually never stepped foot on the campus until uh, the Accepted Students Day, like March or May 2017. The first time, my first real interaction with Fordham University. You know, that's when they give out the free food. You know, everything is cute and nice. <laughs> what would you say to Deontay? Back in 2017, when he's walking onto campus, what would you tell him? I would definitely tell him to spend more time in the library. I would say to find a community that uh, you can engage with and relate to, just because um, being a fish out of the water is no fun. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like everybody to a degree is a fish out of water once they get to uh, colleges and universities. I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to Black students, but um, definitely when you go into like a PWI, you know, um, predominantly white institution, it could definitely be a little bit, uh, a little bit more out of the water, I guess you could say, you know, go find friends, go find a community. You know, I went to silly meetings my first semester, but I didn't necessarily, uh, interact with that many people in the club. I didn't really like talk to many of them. I didn't really know how to like make friends in that space, I guess you could say initially, just because like the kind of like spaces that I come from, there's like a, it's homogenous, I guess you could say, like, we're all kind of like the same, same background, same races for the most part. You know, when you start meeting people who are from, like, you know, all around the world, difficult. So I definitely say, like, try harder to actually engage with Fordham, try to, like, make friends. You know, I kind of just gave up my freshman year. I was like, nah, this is not for me. Until it do was you, for me. When freshmen come to a silly meetings now, do you have a way of hooking them in, of encouraging them to get involved? Is there a strategy? I definitely say we try to do as many events as we can that are, like, freshman-friendly, that are focused on, like, social interaction and creating bonds and like communities and stuff like that facilitating people into like friendships and like connections is way easier than just kind of letting people like walk around and, like figure it out on their own and stuff we also try to like be friends with the freshmen as much as possible i know that being friends with upperclassmen and seeing upperclassmen who are able to do the things i felt like i couldn't do the fact that they were able to be there for four years and graduate and not be miserable i was like mm -hmm. hey like if they could do that i definitely can Kind of showing freshmen, like, you know, the four years aren't going to be so bad. You know, you make your friends, you have your own people. So we kind of try to just make sure that they have, like, as much interaction with other students as much as possible. Unfortunately, due to, like, coronavirus, the pandemic has been a little bit more difficult to kind of facilitate that. But, you know, we've been doing our own things, things that we're uh, definitely trying to move forward with, especially, like, you know, this year, trying to adjust to the pandemic. I keep coming back to this, the seven, you know, the 2017 Deontay and your family so proud to send you here and it's your first day and you're so excited and you're walking on campus. And so I asked you what, what you would do differently. What, what would you say to the university, the faculty, the, the people who attempt to build the community here, the adults, when thinking about you, you know, 18 year old you walking on campus, what would you want us to know? What should Fordham have done differently so you wouldn't feel that, that sense of isolation and, and despair? That's a good question. Uh, I feel like that's, that's always one that I've always uh, grappled with and like kind of have had the most difficulty in kind of answering just because sometimes 
how can I put it? I'm not going to say that, like, you know, it's not, like, there's nothing that, like, faculty or uh, administration could do. But sometimes I feel as though my main disconnect always came just from my peers, like the my, my fellow students. If I could think of something, and, like, you know, these are kind of, like, things that I spoke about over the summer with people that were, like, on USG and, like, you know, other multicultural clubs and stuff like that. Attempting to institute some sort of bias modules or something like that into, like, the orientation or maybe, like, just talking about like diversity or something in depth i don't ever remember any uh fruitful conversations or like progressive conversations about any of those topics going on in my freshman year for the most part outside of a silly and like outside of like clubs that kind of discuss those kind of things i feel like having a discussion or like a conversation i feel like having a discussion about that like on a school-wide like you know university-wide kind of platform would be i guess you could say like beneficial for like the student body and such who do you think can facilitate those conversations because those conversations are so hard to have about race and racism. And it's really hard to talk with white people who aren't good at talking about race, about race. And one of the things that I've spoken a lot with our chief diversity officer, Rafael Zapata, is kind of how do we make sure that it's not the same student leaders all the time who are being asked to kind of perform their pain and explain how much things stink, right? Because that's a lot of pressure on you as a student when your job really should be to learn, not to be teaching us, right? So how can the faculty, who, who should be training the faculty and how do we make sure if we put this in place that we are having the conversations led in a way that would be progressive, that would be helpful. Quick shout out to Raphael. I actually worked for him. We got a call like at like three o'clock. So, you know, shout out Raphael. To answer your question, I feel like maybe, you know, maybe this isn't like the greatest solution, I guess, but maybe like inviting like faculty or like administrators to kind of speak about it is something that could kind of help because I think people definitely take people who are like in roles of like power, like, you know, when it has like that relationship of like a teacher and student as opposed to like student to student, they take those people a little bit more seriously. You know, I've heard um, many people, you know, this is just like one of many examples. Like there, there are like plenty of people at the university who definitely have like powerful voices. I know a lot of people have told me like professors like Mark Chapman or like um, Professor Nason, you know, Mark Nason, like those people have definitely like uh, facilitated conversations and have changed minds and informed people and stuff. Just like not only through their like their classes, but like just their presence outside of the classes as well. You know, I'm a Gabelli student. There's almost a 1% chance that I'll be ever taking a Chapman or a nascent class, you know? Right. However, like, you know, I know who they are. I've sat in a Chapman class and, you know, he welcomed me, even though, you know, I wasn't one of his students. He let me like sit in the back just like for a few minutes to kind of hear about the kind of things that, you know, he discussed and talk about. I think this is like last year, maybe, you know, it's like kind of like facilitating like those kind of experiences for students to kind of have the opportunity to sit around, you know, hear what people have to say, learn, even kind of encouraging people to go listen to things outside of the university. There are a lot of voices that like aren't just at Fordham's campus to get like authentic, genuine experiences with people of color. You know, there's a whole entire community of people of color, especially in New York City, like the most, well, I'm not going to say the most diverse because I don't know, but from what I've experienced, the most diverse city in the world. So I would say like kind of encouraging those kind of things would be important. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to put yourself forward and invest your time in taking on a leadership role with a silly? 
I'd seen a lot of um, upperclassmen that I knew who were part of like the leadership of Vasily. My leadership role, I guess you could say, in Vasily started at the very end of my sophomore year when I had ran for the social media coordinator position of uh, the e-board. You know, at first I wasn't even going to run for the e-board, but, you know, I walked into a club meeting one day. One of my friends was like, bro, like, you got to get on this e-board. You should just do this. You know, we've seen all these people who are about to graduate do this for years. We need to continue this, you know? And I was like, you're right. Like, I definitely should try to, like, do something. You know, I kind of got complicit with being able to just sit back and be like, yo, this is, like, my friends. This is my space. I'm cool here. I don't want to do anything. I just want to chill with these people and then go home. At the end of the day, I probably should be engaging on a wider basis because who knows if there's other people who've experienced the same thing I experienced like the last two years. I joined the Silly as a social media coordinator, like I said, the end of my sophomore year. I held that role from the end of my sophomore year throughout my junior year. And then at the end of my junior year, well, not the end, maybe like around February of my junior year, the e-board from last year had decided who were going to be like the president, vice president, secretary and such. So, you know, they, they had passed on that role to me, the role of the president. Can you talk a little bit about what the conversations in the e-board were like in terms of the demands that you guys released over the summer in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the COVID epidemic and kind of how you interacted with the Black at Fordham and let's talk about it Fordham Instagram accounts. Talk to me just a little bit about your thinking and how you were trying to create pressure on the university to make change. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll just talk about first, like how that list of demands idea had came up. And then I'll talk about, um, you know, kind of like how we were able to like push that forward. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for everything. Like at the end of the day, Alex, the secretary of the club, she had came forward to us and she was like, guys, like, yeah, we're posting all this info informative stuff. Yeah, we're like doing our fundraisers, raising thousands of dollars and stuff like that. But she was like, you know, we need to press issues. Like we need to have like substantive change at the university in and of itself, right? So Alex, I came forward and she said like, I'm going to make a list of demands. You guys can contribute to it and we're going to post that. And I was like, all right, that sounds good to me. So, you know, we had a quick brainstorming session, me, her, and Miranda. We had came up with some of the demands. I mean, she came up with the majority, like the good majority of them. You know, she's real tapped in. You know, she works with, like, a, a lot of things on campus. I know, like, she's worked with, like, some USG stuff. She's on the Committee of Sexual Misconduct. She's on the Student Advisory Board. So, like, she's a political science major. Like, so she had used everything that she had learned in the past few years at Fordham University to kind of criticize and try to make Fordham University better. Definitely will give her a huge shout-out because, you know, she had the biggest contribution to making that list of demands. Everybody else had, like, we had contributions, but it was definitely, like, her for the most part. She held that one down. So when it came to kind of putting the list of demands out there, we had decided what's the tools that are going to be most utilized over this pandemic? Like, how do we create the most buzz? How do we create the most um, amount of attention? And, you know, after like the Black Lives Matter movement kind of had like uh, ramped up a lot at the beginning of this summer, we had started getting a lot of followers. This past six months, we probably gained a little bit over 2,000 followers on our Instagram. And, you know, that's a lot of, like, university students, I guess you could say, just wanting to kind of, like, be more tapped in, more uh, informed and such on, like, the things that are happening on campus. So we had kind of just um, decided, like, you know, we're going to utilize social media as the tool that we use to get this out there. You know, um, if you look at, like, the demographics that interact with Instagram, it's mostly 18 to 24-year-olds. You know, that's college-age students. You know, that was the platform that we used to get most of our information out there to our fellow students, but I'm not gonna like pretend like we did it on our own because we had so many people reaching out to us and kind of like supporting what we did. 
we had done like an email blast where we put the email link in our bio and i think we got over three thousand clicks on that over three thousand emails were sent like administration at the school Wow. alumni had reached out to us and we're like we can set this up that all people have to do is click and the email will be sent like and that's it if they want to send it so you know alumni had set that up for us my point is that you know we had a lot of support from all sides so you know and just like the viral nature of it like everybody sharing it everybody liking it everybody reposting it everybody was kind of talking about it or like bringing it forward as an issue so that's how the list of demands kind of came about and was distributed i guess you could say I'm also going to shout out our new social media guy, though, Gerald De La Cruz, because I was kind of monitoring the social media when I first got on it. But all the Instagram posts that had the graphics for listed demands, I would text him. I was like, hey, like, we need something. He would get it back to me. I'd be like, perfect. You know, of course, like we came up with the strategy, but like who implemented the strategy and put it together? I just want to always emphasize that's always a team effort. I never want to take too much credit for anything that goes on. For our listeners who are not familiar, what are one or two demands that you could share with us so we can get a sense of the kinds of things that you guys were advocating for? There's one demand on the list of demands that said um, to hire more black and queer professors at Fordham University. But I feel like that demand on the list of demands was important just because you know, I believe that representation is super vital to engaging with any student who's at the school. You know, to see somebody who looks like yourself or to see somebody who's like definitely from like a similar background as yourself is definitely a way to get people more engaged. Um, I know Professor Clarence Ball, he had a good impact on me and we have a great relationship now, you know. I work with him on like a lot of like different things, like mentoring program that Gabelli has. Grateful that I was able to make that relationship back then. So I would definitely say like seeing yourself in the people who are kind of like teaching you, leading you, the people who you're promising your whole entire foundational college knowledge on, like it's important that they that they can relate to you in like in different ways. Not necessarily everybody, because there's always experiences to be learned from people who don't look like you, who aren't you, who aren't from your own background. But you know, I feel like that relation is important. Another one of the demands on the list of demands that come to my mind first and foremost, the one about severing like connections and ties to the NYPD, especially like during this time where like police brutality and all these different things are like a hot topic. The University of Minnesota, you know, they had cut their ties with the the MPD. So like just following like uh, other institutions and like kind of like seeing like that role, like, hey, like this is something that should be involved in, like and included. We had a, a lot of robust conversations with student affairs, like, you know, Dean Rogers is definitely like somebody who has engaged with a lot of conversation with us. We've talked about things and like topics surrounding those things. So like there's definitely like conversations being had. You know, there's like a lot of information, I guess you could say, being learned on both sides. Those are just two of the things that come to mind immediately for me. So can you talk a little bit about it, what it feels like when you get in those conversations and people are kind of telling you to go a little slow or this is going to be harder than you think? I definitely say like just the emphasis on like poise is important. Mm. Being ready for those conversations, because when you get into like those conversations with like administrators or like, you know, people who are like people kind of like proponents of change at the university, you got to come prepared. Like, you know, they don't want any uh, BS. They don't want anybody who's kind of just like wishing and, you know, having like dreams and stuff like that. So coming to them with real concerns, real facts, real data, those are the kind of things that um inform the conversations and make them easier to have. I had said the alumni had set up a survey for us that they had sent out where we had like, I think maybe like a thousand responses on that survey. But the survey was asking different questions like as a student at Fordham, have you ever felt racially profiled? Or like, as a person of color, have you felt like, you know, things like that. And, you know, we had came to conversations with that information. Like, you know, when this percentage of your students say that they felt discriminated against, there have been bias incidents, have they've had negative experiences with this department, that department, this kind of, this person, that person. Not like they have like specific names or anything like that, 
obviously anonymity is important to like, you know, surveys and like unbiased reporting or whatever, but kind of having like that data, like that understanding, like whether it be like qualitative things or quantitative things is important. So I definitely say like sitting in those rooms, if you're unprepared, it could be real, real intimidating. Um, If you're prepared, I mean, it could still be intimidating. But you know, at the end of the day, I feel like as students, administrators and faculty, like not that their lives are dedicated to us, been like they kind of like care for us we're paying for this experience were representatives of the university open to this process with you or were they resistant or after some contextualizing and explaining do you feel that you made some real progress in those conversations it's very very circumstantial just because we have spoken to like a lot of different faculty and administrators for me i just feel like the first step is always having the conversations in of themselves the progress you know, maybe, maybe this is me being optimistic, but the progress will follow, like, you know, definitely. People were receptive, maybe not always receptive, maybe after, like, explanations and contextualizing, there was, like, definitely receptivity. We've had so many of those different conversations with, like, so many different faculty and, like, departments and stuff that's kind of, like, difficult to make, like, one monolithic experience of it, you know? Is it getting easier as these conversations accumulate? I guess you could say the accessibility of the people and like the willingness to have the conversations is definitely the first step for me. Dean Roger had told me it's a yearly tradition for him to meet with the president of Vasily. The conversation that we had yesterday over lunch, it was pretty good. You know, like I was, I was grateful that you know he had reached out to me and like kind of let him let me know that he's gonna always be like a resource for like our club and students, like making sure like bias incidents are reported. You know, so like things like that, like everybody kind of like coming forward and making sure like. I know they're accessible. That doesn't necessarily mean that, like, this is not a knock toward him, but, like, just in general, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are actually going to, like, make any difference. But me knowing that they're there and, like, I know who to go to and stuff like that now. Because mm-hmm. before, I, I didn't. Like, I was kind of like a fish out of water, like I said earlier. I just got yeah. emails, and I was like, oh, it's time to talk to this person now, you know? But now I know who to email instead. So mm-hmm. one of the things we've been talking about a lot in this podcast is how faculty have made the switch to this hybrid um, model or this online model. And I'm wondering if there are things that you've seen faculty that you'd want to tell your professors about how they're handling either the kind of challenges of the new modality of teaching or how that modality kind of inter- interacts or intersects with issues of structural racism and structural inequalities. I will say this, the classes are more difficult for me I feel like um, sitting at a laptop all day is definitely not something that I am, like, attuned to. I've always been, like, a person who, like, kind of feeds off of, like, in-person interaction and, like, other people and such. Totally. But I don't think I've had, like, any uh, terrible experiences with the online learning aside from just not liking online learning, you know? But a lot of my professors, like, they're trying their hardest. I haven't had any bad experiences so far. But maybe I just have like the good professors, maybe some people who have had bad experiences because. What do your peers think about uh, beyond Arthur Avenue and Yankee Stadium? Do they do they venture out into into the Bronx to do things? Uh, Very rarely, I would say. And like, I I think that comes from like all races at Fordham University. I definitely would say that I've met a lot more black students who like have been inclined to explore like the Bronx, you know? I guess there's like a level of comfortability when it comes to like being around other people who look like them. But for sure, like I'd say like majority of people that I've met have not been outside of like the general vicinity or like, you know, like the other like big hubs of, you know, the Bronx, except for like, you know, certain people though, like, you know, one of my friends, she had graduated last year. Her name is Maddie. 
you know, one day, like, we had went to go, like, eat somewhere, and she was like, oh, yeah, like, I've been here on the 9 bus. I was like, you've been on the 9 bus? I was, <laughs> I was like, that's cool, though, you know? Like, she was like, yeah, like, I've took time to kind of, like, learn about the community. And I was like, hey, like, that's dope. Like, I can't say I've heard that many times before, you know? Or, like, I had a friend, um, her name was Signe. She graduated last year as well. One day she had asked me, like, if I could go with her, like, to the supermarket. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to the supermarket. And I was like, we're like, we're going to Trader Joe's or something? And she was like, no, like, I go to the supermarket on Brooklyn Boulevard. And I was like, you know where Brooklyn Boulevard is? Like, you know? So it's definitely, um, there's some people who definitely have taken the time. I wouldn't say majority. I'd say most people just get on the Metro North, probably not even the sub, like, the D train. They probably just get to the Metro North and straight to 42nd, you know? Yeah, I don't think many people have taken the time to explore the Bronx and, like, you know, what it has to offer and stuff like that. Like I said, like, most of my friends have. So that's a big, big campaign that Dr. Dr. Mark Mason is on, right, is to make that part of orientation, to make that a class that all freshmen take, to really invite Fordham students to uh, – experience and taste and eat you know he's really into food in the bronx but to know about bronx history to know about bronx culture today to eat in the bronx to go shopping in the bronx what do you think about that as a strategy um if the university were to kind of include that in orientation is that something that you think would make a difference for people and for the fordham community if fordham university like all like the wealth that's like kind of like accumulated at the school like per capita kind of was like spent in the Bronx, you know, that I would like definitely like help local businesses and stuff like that. It's like, you know, why could some, why, why would somebody go to Trader Joe's when they could go to like the supermarket that's down the block, you know? I feel like that kind of just like reinvestment into its own community and you can get the same quality of food probably. I'm pretty yeah. sure. You know, I've been going to Bronx supermarkets my whole life and, you know, I think I'm a pretty healthy individual aside from asthma, but that I got nothing to do with the supermarkets, you know? people like shopping here in the Bronx, like being like involved with the community, it would have like a positive effect. And I think that, uh, my thing is like orientation is like huge. So it might be kind of difficult, but I can say that, you know, if the school wanted to kind of have like a peer aspirant model to look at, they could look at um, Urban Plunge because Urban Plunge does that. You know, my freshman mm -hmm. year um, coming into college, I had done Urban Plunge. And I remember uh, they had brought, like every group had like a different place in the Bronx that they were going to. You know, I had friends who did Urban Plunge, and they were like, yo, I have to make a list of, like, different places in the Bronx for everybody to go to. Some people would go to, like, Pelham. Some people go to Orchard Beach. Uh, some people go to, like, Van Cortland Park. Some people went to Cortona Park. I know my group that I was with, we went to 161 Yankee Stadium. After, like, being at Yankee Stadium, they were like, hey, like, what do we do now? Like, there's no Yankees game. Well, that's not we're watching the game. We just came here, and now what? I was like, well, like, the Bronx Terminal Market is down the block if you guys want to go, like, walk over there and, like, check it out. Deontay, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are faculty at Fordham and faculty elsewhere. I'd just be curious to know if there's a teacher in your life who really made a difference to you, who that person was, if you want to give them a shout out and say kind of what their impact has been. My answer is definitely my second grade teacher, Ms. Robinson. She always had like, you know, faith and like, you know, invested time into me like this, like despite my behavioral issues and stuff like that. And, you know, she always made sure that, like, you know, she cultivated my work ethic and to make sure, like, you know, I actually was dedicated to try, towards trying, you know, further my education. Like, she would always say, just like a little catchphrase, she would be like, all right, power is, and, like, you know, we have to say power is knowledge, and then she would be like, knowledge is, and we have to say power. And then she would be like, okay, then, so you guys know that 
you know, we need to all get our educations. We need to go to college, you know, because education is the thing that's going to free us, stuff like that, you know? So I would hear that and I'd be like, you know, Ms. Robinson, like, 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 those are the kind of things that I internalize, like, going forward. Like, those are the kind of lessons that I still keep in my mind to this day. And, you know, I haven't uh, kind of let go of. I've definitely had great teachers, like, my whole life, a lot of great teachers. But I definitely would say that Ms. Robinson had the biggest impact on me. Or probably, like, she's tied with maybe one other person. But I'm going to have to give it to her, though, because, you know, she was dealing with me at eight years old. Somebody else was dealing with me at 17. You know, it's only positivity on this side. You know, Miss Robinson always reinforced that. So, you know, definitely. That's beautiful. We couldn't end on a better note. Deontay, thank you so much for your time. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, TwiceOverPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at TwiceOver1 or email us at TwiceOverPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.